Welcome to Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan. You can follow me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. You can download our app by searching Ignite Church VT in your Google Play Store or your App Store, or you can follow us online at IgniteChurchVT.com. Do me a favor and share this podcast, share this episode. This is going to be an amazing conversation. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by the late Dr. Miles Monroe, who one time said, when purpose is misunderstood, abuse is inevitable. In other words, you will always intentionally or unintentionally mismanage what you fail to understand. And, and, and that, that's why the enemy aggressively attempts to get us as believers to operate in ignorance. And ignorance is running rampant all over this nation, throughout the world. Did you hear about this in Ireland? A, a, a teacher, he said, I love my school, but I'm here today because I would not call a boy a girl. He, he, he was talking to um, some interviewers regarding his, his um, arrest because this teacher who refused to use students' gender-neutral gender pronouns condemns the insanity while he's jailed in Ireland because he would not call a boy a girl. And he's jailed. <laughs> we, we are in, in entering into a, a very ignorant yet a very targeted season in our culture and in our generation right now. This is, this is specifically targeted towards believers, towards people who have morality, who have value, who have kingdom integrity. Speaking of kingdom integri- integrity or lack thereof, uh, there was an article that came out in the Christian Post that says over a third of senior pastors, a third of senior pastors believe good people can earn their way to heaven. The insanity continues. A third of senior pastors, senior pastors, supposed to be the prominent voice in the church that God's given them to pastor, believe that good people can earn their way to heaven. Now, half the, half the problem with what we're seeing in this culture right now is the fact that not even pastors are reading the word. Not even pastors know what the word of God says, or if they do, they're unwilling to present that to the congregation in a way that is going to change hearts and lives because they're, they're, more, they're more concerned about how people are going to feel than the impact that the truth of the word of God and the kingdom impact is going to have on their life. The, the kingdom is going to do the separating of the wheat and the chaff. As you preach the word of God, it is going to take care of the offenses. You don't have to try to offend anybody. The truth of the word of God is going to do all of the offending that needs to be done. And we've got to be okay with the utilization of the term ignorance to describe a certain, you know, certain areas of our life that, that we're just not informed in because in one area or another, we're ignorant. And it used to be a, you know, it used to be used as a cultural condescending term. It may still be in, uh, you know, certain spaces nowadays, but the truth of the matter is it's used uh, in, in a condescending way because people conflate ignorance and intelligence. Intelligence deals with your ability and your capacity to understand and comprehend something. Ignorance is simply dealing with the information that you have or have not been exposed to. Just because someone is uninformed does not mean they are unintelligent. This is why we are operating in specific, intentional ignorance in America right now. Just because I'm uninformed doesn't mean I'm unintelligent. It just means once you give me the right information, I'm going to get a revelation that's going to cause a revolution in my life. I'm not, 
I'm not dumb. I just don't know everything about everything. You ever get around some people and they, they have the answer to absolutely everything. They don't need to research anything. They don't need to look anything up. They don't need to get back to you. They give you an answer right then and there every single time. So what happens in this cultural, you know, uh, adaptation of ignorance is the enemy understands the conflation and, and, and the misrepresentation of of those who are in this culture right now. And he aggressively is attempting to get us to stay in, in stages of life where we are either uninformed because that's one type of ignorance or misinformed because that's another type of ignorance. Misinformed is more dangerous than uninformed because at least when you are uninformed, you know you're ignorant. You know you don't have a comprehension in a, in, in a certain area. When we are misinformed, we are ignorant and we're arrogant. Arrogant about what we are misinformed on. Now, now there's some people that will argue you all the way, um, uh, you know, till they are blue in the face and they are just as wrong as wrong can be. How can you be that confident and that wrong all at the same time? And he wants to create the argument because he knows whatever I misunderstand, I will mismanage. That's the enemy's job. That's the enemy's desire. And mismanagement isn't always wrong. Utilization of something, mismanagement can also be underutilization of something, meaning that when I don't understand what something is, um, I, I, you know, it's not wrong management. And or wrong utilization, but it's that, that you maybe, maybe you use your phone for just emails and texts and phone calls, but you never browse with it. You never download apps. You never do anything else on your phone. That's underutilization of that device that you purchased. And sometimes we are underutilizing something because we have not been informed with any information or the right information about the capability of something and its potential to make a certain type of contribution to your life. It's like when, when, when um, you know, grandkids will go to their grandparents and they'll, you know, hand them their phone and say, here, you can do this and you can do that. And the grandparents are looking at the phone or looking at the iPad saying, how did you do that? They were uninformed. They were ignorant in a certain area and they were underutilizing something that they had in their possession. Now, let me put this in cultural faith perspective. We, as the people of God, are oftentimes trying to be Christian without God. We're trying to overthrow a spirit of heaviness without God. We're putting way too much uh, um, um, uh, pressure on a political earthly system. We're putting too many of our expectations in the hand of Congress. We're putting all of our eggs in the, in the basket of uh, uh, voter, um, voter security and, and, and voter intelligence come November, making sure that everybody's informed on who they should vote for. And we're trying to advance in every element of our culture without God. Some people are trying to advance in their careers without God. Some people are trying to stay married without God. That's a huge problem in our culture. Trying to choose the right person without God, not remembering that wolves come in sheep's clothing, not knowing that you can meet people in one season, but life changes people in ways that you cannot predict. And listen, I don't care how solid somebody is. If you are with somebody long-term, if you don't know them well, you're going to hit a season of life where you wake up to a stranger and you don't know who that is. And now you've got to learn to re-love, or you, you've got to rather re, uh, relearn how to love that person in, 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 a, in a new way because now they become somebody you didn't know because pressure will push out of somebody stuff that you didn't see in them in a previous season of life when things were going well. 
And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to uh, put anyone down by saying this, but you are not that smart to be picking on your own. You need to have a revelation from God on who you're supposed to be with. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen where you are? I don't care if, if, you're, if you're praying for a husband or you're praying for a wife, you are not that good to be doing this on your own. You have got to get a revelation from God. You have got to allow the discernment of the Holy Spirit to move in your heart, in your life, and, 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 and help you along that journey. And it's easy to hear something like what I'm saying because you recognize the importance of God cognitively, but because of that, you can't assume that you're practicing it experientially. So I can say, hey, do you, you, know, you, you know you can't live like that. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, you, you can't go to the next level without God. And, and cognitively, a church would say, yes, absolutely. But individually, experientially, I would say, but are we living that way? Do you have a childlike dependence? Is there a resilient reliability? Is there a passionate pursuit of God because you seek what you need from God? You will seek out what you need in the kingdom. And if you, listen, if you lose your keys to get somewhere and you're, you're, you know, you're headed to work, you're headed to a show, you're, you know, you're, you're headed out for a dinner, you're headed over to meet family, you know, you will turn your house upside down to find those keys. You got to get to work. I don't care how, you know, how, how you got to find those keys. If you've got to flip that bed upside down, rip the mattress off, turn the pillows inside out, if, just to find the keys so you can get to work on time, you will do whatever you've got to do. Turn the kitchen upside down, pull the cushions off the sofa. When you are looking for something, you need a seek it until you find it. And you will do that until you find it. God requires the same seek because the seek is what notifies you and reminds you of the need. And God is not making you seek because he wants to be difficult and hard to find. He's making you seek because you need to seek so you can be reminded of how much you need him. Many people have been trying to drive their Christian life without the keys. And that's a Christian-ish kind of life. The Bible says, seek me and you will find me. He says, if you seek me with your whole heart. I want to suggest to you on this podcast episode today, Maybe, maybe some of you, you have your swag, but you've lost your seek. You're smart, but you've lost your seek. You're savvy, but you lost your seek. I want to give you a word from the Holy Spirit to help put the seek back in you because you can be great in success, but in the process of gaining, maybe you've lost your seek. And because you've lost your seek, you've lost your satisfaction. God is the only one who can give you real satisfaction. There is no other relationship in your life on this earth that can fill that void. God says, when I told you I'm going to make your cup run over, he said, I'm talking about myself. In Psalm 23, when he talks about filling your cup until it runs over, he's not just talking about stuff. He's talking about himself. When something is running over, it's so full on the inside that it spills over to the outside. I want you to understand this and catch this because I'm going to use this phrase, and it's a phrase that I've heard used before in 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 some of my some of my circles, and and you know people kind of tilt their head and they kind of raise their eyebrows trying to trying to understand the the functionality of this statement and the the reason that it's being said in Christian circles. I believe that. As a Christian, it's possible to be a functional atheist because you do not have to be an atheist theologically 
to be an atheist functionally. Because when there is no talk of God in the middle of your hustle and grind, that's functional atheism. Because somebody forgot to tell you, I don't care how much you do on the ground. I don't care how much you did, uh, how much you planted. There's one thing that you can't do that God's word is specific in telling us. You can't make it rain. You need favor to make it rain. You need God to show up and rain on the stuff that you are doing on the earth. And if you are going to see a harvest and if you're going to see fruit from any effort in your life, I don't care how you market. I don't care how you how, how you brand yourself. I don't care how you protect uh, perfect your gift or your craft or all of the gifts that God's given you. God has got to do something somewhere to open a door for you. And if you try to accomplish all of these great things in your life without God, that is functional atheism. Maybe you started a business, but you never prayed over your business. You never released a word over your business. Functional atheism. Maybe God gave you something deep in your spirit to give birth to, and you gave birth to it and you never covered it in prayer. You just said, I have an idea, and you operated out of that idea from a carnal mindset, functional atheism, a form of godliness living according to a moral code. Life is just governed by best practices. We call that religion. Religion is conforming to an outer code of conduct. I've had people tell me over the years, you know, pastor, people would respect you better if you just wore a suit when you preached. (laughs) And I just laugh at them. And I, I, you know, I just say, listen, if somebody is going to determine their value of me based on what I wear, I don't need to be running with them anyway, because we're in two different places. We're in two different places spiritually. We're in two different places with the authority and, and, and with the, the honor that God has, has rested upon us. We are, we are carrying the keys of the kingdom, but we got different keys in our hand. We got the keys, but we're operating in different keys through different doors. Some of you may have even overestimated your power in networking because you can get in the room, but listen, when you get in the room, you can't make them like you. And every leader, every pastor, every spiritual um, uh, authority and every local church body understands, listen, I don't care what people say about you. You are not going to make everybody happy. You are not going to make everybody pleased. You are not going to to, uh, find agreement with every single person who walks into your life. And as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, as a Christian, if you are working in the marketplace as a Christian, you have to understand you are not going to be able to find agreement in every area of life. And I don't care how many rooms you can get in in your your workplace or in in the marketplace. You can get in a room, but you can't make them like you. You need the favor of God. And if you are walking into a room and you are not putting prayer on that situation. You are operating with functional atheism. You believe in God, but you don't necessarily believe in the power that believing in God gives you to walk into a room and claim that atmosphere and claim that environment and say, this environment belongs to God and know that when you walk in that room, you are going to have favor because of the power that God gives you from on high. It takes God to move on the heart of somebody to make them use their influence and their assets in order to help you. It takes God, uh, you know, it takes God to put that on somebody's heart to say, to look at you. Maybe you walk in for an interview and, and they sit there and they tell you, you know, you're the, you're the 20th person to interview for this position. And after the interview, they kind of look at you and they, they say, you know, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to make an exception because I really like you. Somebody listening right now needs to believe that that's getting ready to happen to you. Some of you are getting ready to hear an I don't normally do this word, phrase come out of somebody's mouth because God is going to create favor in their heart on your behalf. And if you don't believe that, you're right. You're not going to hear that. 
you're not going to see it come to fruition. But some of you are getting ready to hear, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to make an exception. That's the favor of God. And if you don't operate with that understanding, if you don't believe that when you are sick, that God can heal you, that's functional atheism. If you don't believe that God has given you the keys of the kingdom and you can walk up to any door, and if it's a door that God wants to open for you, regardless of what man is doing, understand that God can open doors no man can open and God can shut doors that no man can shut. He's given you the keys of the kingdom. If you are not praying and getting discernment over what keys you're supposed to use in what season, then you are not putting all of your faith in God. You are putting your faith in a carnal understanding, a carnal knowledge, and operating at a level of ignorance. Because we don't know all things. Our spirit does, the Bible says. Our spirit knows all things. So if we are not praying and getting a word, on what it is that we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be going in life, we are operating with the spirit of functional atheism. Where I believe in God, but I don't believe in the power thereof. But I believe that some of you are going to get a, I don't normally do this kind of word in your life. I don't normally uh, give this much to people, but I'm going to give it to you. I don't normally do this because of your credit score, but I'm going to do this for you anyway. I don't normally lease this property or sell this property, but I'm going to do it for you. And I don't know who needs to hear this listening to this podcast, but you need to know you're about to hear, and I don't normally do this. And I believe in some of the worst economic seasons that we're having right now in America and throughout the world with, with, with everything globally, economically, I believe that the people of God who remain steadfast to intercede and believe on behalf of the nation and the land that God's given them and take the territory that God's called you to take, God is going to smile upon you and God is going to release favor upon you. And you and I are going to be the exceptions to the systems that we see playing out in the world. So whatever it is, it takes God it takes God moving on somebody's on somebody's heart to move on your behalf, and it cannot happen without divine intervention. The difference between you and non-believers is they call the intervention a different name. They may call it luck. They may call it chance. But you and I understand there is no luck. There is no chance. There's intention from the kingdom on behalf of our life. Jesus said, unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom. So until you're born again, there is some stuff that, 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 that's God, but you don't recognize that it's God. And, and listen, grace is scandalous at times. Grace goes to places where you don't think it will go. Grace will help people you don't think it should help. Grace opens doors for people that you don't like. It is not grace for grace sake. It is God leading a person to a season of their life where they can have an encounter with God, where they can have an authentic conversion. And some of us, maybe you've been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 10, 10 years, five years, one year, one month, one day. I don't care how long you've been saved. There has got to be an element of your faith where you believe wholeheartedly in everything the word of God says. If you question stuff in the word, if you are putting words and scriptures that maybe you don't understand or you are operating at a certain carnal understanding, but you don't really have a, a deep spiritual understanding about it, I encourage you to go sit with your pastor. Because if you take portions of the scripture and you brush them aside because you don't have an understanding of them, or maybe you don't believe that they're accurate or believe that they're true, that is a level of functional atheism where you believe in the God that you gave your heart and your life to. You believe in, in Jesus that saved you and set you free, but you don't believe in the power of the word of God. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, it's created a functional level of atheism inside of your Christian journey. 
That is a dangerous place for us to be as the people of God. If God said it, I believe it. If God says he'll do it, I believe it's going to come to pass. We have to live life that way. When you've got a third of pastors saying that they believe people can, can, can live out good works and get to heaven, we are living in a, in a spiritual dichotomy that's happening right now, all over, especially in America, but throughout the world, where, where we are not preaching the true, unadulterated word of God. Uh, we're not preaching a word that is not sugar-coated. We are not preaching a word that is, is, is not mirrored through culture. We have got to, listen, the Bible is just as relevant now as it was when it was penned. When the Holy Spirit breathed these words into the men that wrote the word of God, understand those words are as evident and just as powerful today as they were when they were originally penned. And understand that, that God, you know, when you talk about grace, understand sometimes God doesn't even care about what is being produced. They just, you know, what grace is producing. I'm just trying to show them me and, and, and I have to show them me inside of what matters to them. So that's why you can't envy. That's why you can't be jealous. That's why you can't see what somebody else is getting from God because you don't know what they went through to get there and you don't know how long they're going to be sustained there and you don't know what God is teaching them there. Because they are going to get to a point that when they get what they thought mattered, they are going to see it really didn't matter as much anyway. And then they're going to have to go around the block again and realize it's God. God is the one that developed them. God is the one that made them. God is the one that molded them. So you can have all the money you want, but you're still not happy. You've got to get back to the roots. You've got to get back to God. You thought you were going to feel a whole lot better when you got married. Go back to God and realize it's not an earthly relationship that can save you and set you free and release you into your future. It's only a relationship with God, a solid relationship with your creator. And there seems to be an impact on the Christian culture that is similar to the impact that, that we see in mainstream culture happening around, around this nation right now and, and all throughout society. But there is the improper prioritization of information, and, and, and sometimes you think that's all you need. And this is why Christians, can I be honest as a pastor, this is why a lot of Christians don't think they need worship. This is why, listen, I, I've got to be honest with you. I have seen the majority of Christians in a church show up late for service. They usually miss the first or second song. They show up by the third song. And by the time 30 minutes has gone by, they're now seated in their, in their seat. And all of those who showed up on time for service, the worship team, the pastor, uh, you know, unless your pastor walks in, um, you know, right at the end of worship. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get that. I think pastors should be in worship. You know, I, I know uh, pastors, you know, you know, if you wonder why pastors travel with security, it's just, it's, it's not necessarily because they think someone's out to kill them. It's just to keep a buffer between the pastor and those in the congregation who don't understand protocol and want to have a 10, 15 minute conversation before service while the pastors got their mind on worship and delivering the word. And then afterwards, there's time for ministry, and most people should be calling an office to make an appointment with a pastor anyway, not taking up their entire Sunday afternoon to talk about something that you should be having a conversation in an office setting about. But anyway, what I'm saying is, when you are showing up to church 30 minutes late, 
Or maybe you get there on time, but by the time, by the time you check your kids in, you, you, you go use the bathroom, you get your coffee, you grab your donut, you say hey to people. You're now 30 minutes into the worship service. You have missed everything that needed to take place to root you in that atmosphere so that when the pastor comes to deliver the word or when there's ministry happening or people are believing for signs and wonders and miracles and hands are being laid on people, you are in a place to where you are now behind that atmosphere, behind that environment that was created because you did not put precedence on worship. You think all you need is a pastor's message. I told our church all the time, all you need is not my message. You need to be here in this atmosphere for worship. You need to be showing up on time. I mean, people will make sure they don't miss any portion of my message. It just means that we don't properly understand that you cannot apply what you have heard without power. That understanding of uh, understanding a thing and applying a thing are not the same thing. You can know every Greek word for forgiveness that exists and still not release forgiveness if God doesn't help you do it. If you think you can forgive somebody on your own merit without the Holy Spirit breathing and, and, and speaking life into you, that is living in a state of functional atheism. Think about how many Christians are trying to forgive without God. And then they blame the fact that they can't forgive. They blame that on, on the other person's inability to receive their act of forgiveness in whatever act that was. You cannot live a life of forgiveness without God. You can't, if you, if you give someone else permission to accept your, your apology, your forgiveness or not, you are giving them permission to tell you whether you can or not move forward. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. Forgiveness is not dependent on the receiver. Forgiveness is the one. Forgiveness is dependent on the one who's releasing it. And for some people, it would take a miracle for you to pardon somebody that hurt you. And I think it's wonderful to live a life of forgiveness. You've got to learn to live a life of forgiveness. If you can't and you call yourself a Christian, that's functional atheism. That's I believe in God, but I don't don't believe in the power of the tools of the kingdom that he's put in my life. Forgiveness is a gift that God has given you so that you don't live under the bondage and and, 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 and under the false power of somebody else who's living a life of offense. So what happens is you think you got that much love in your heart without God that they can use you, that they can abuse you, they can underappreciate you, maybe they can manipulate you, they can undervalue you, and somehow you're just going to be okay and turn around and say, hey, God bless you. You need the power of God to help you in those moments where you can look at somebody who's coming against you or somebody who's been offended and you can say, I forgive you. I'm okay. I'm not going to live in a state of offense where you are. God's doing a work in my heart. God needs to do a work in your heart. We need to learn to be able to disagree and still serve God together. Sometimes we just need to shout, Lord, help me in the middle of these situations and circumstances because there's too many Christians trying to forgive without God. You cannot do that. That is a life living of functional atheism. If God doesn't help you, you're going to put the offense down today and tomorrow you're going to pick it back up. And sometimes you think you've forgiven somebody until you see them in aisle 14 in the grocery store and you see them down at the other end of the aisle and all of a sudden the hair on your arm stands up, you start sweating, your heart starts pounding, your your, your mind starts racing and you're remembering every reason that you had an offense against them. Everything that came between you, it's all coming back to you. 
But when you operate in true forgiveness, you can see that person at the end of the aisle and you can walk all the way through that aisle. And when you get to the other end, you can smile and say, hey, how are you? And you can keep on going versus the other person who's not walking in forgiveness, who's not walking in a true release, but still living offended, sees that person at the other end of the aisle, turns the shopping cart around and goes to aisle 15 next, next to aisle 14. So you don't have to talk to them. And if that's you, I want you to think about why you've turned around, why you've avoided people in restaurants, why you've avoided people at church. The Bible clearly states, if you've got an offense with your brother, leave your altar where it is, uh, leave your offering. Don't take it to the altar, leave your offering. Go make those offenses right and release forgiveness and then take your offering. God puts forgiveness above an offering. That's how powerful it is. And if you are not living a life of forgiveness, you are living a life of functional atheism. And I know I I might be too real on this podcast right now, but I want to break down some Christian-ish kind of lifestyles. Some people thought they had, you know, been forgiving others until you see them in a public place. And all of that stuff gets resurrected again. And your whole mood gets shifted when you see somebody that you truly hadn't forgiven and let go of because you still are rooted in unforgiveness and have not learned to move past those offenses. So while you are a Christian, your life is still ish in that area. It's Christian-ish. Come on. That is a normal human response, and you cannot facilitate that offense without God because that is the way that most humans will respond. It's not wrong. It's human. And when you recognize that is your natural human response, you will also recognize that you need divine assistance, and he will stop trying to use your willpower for that which can only be accomplished with his power. God's not going to use your willpower for something that he can only he can do. You cannot underutilize God. And I believe that we are in a day and age right now. We believe he can save us, but many Christians don't believe that he can actually help us. And I believe we're in a day and age right now where we've got to utilize the power of God. We've got to utilize the authority that God has put in our life, in our heart, in our spirit because of our relationship with him that, that, that allows us not to be a functional atheist that we believe in God, but we don't believe in the keys of the kingdom. We don't believe in the tools that he's given to us. We don't believe in every, every, everything that he's put at our disposal to unlock heaven over our lives for such a time as this. Listen, you are born for this moment. You and I were created to live right now in this time in history. Why are we not utilizing the gifts of God and trying to accomplish everything on our own without believing fully and wholeheartedly in what the word of God says? Some of us may go to to, to church. You may go to church every single Sunday. That does not mean that your life is advancing in the kingdom. Some of you may go to church once every week or once every other week. Maybe you go once a month. It's not just showing up to church. That's not going to take you necessarily to another level. That's to fill your cup. That's to energize you spiritually. That is to help teach you certain things that you've not been able to learn on your own, just sitting at home. But if you don't have a one-on-one relationship with God, you are missing the whole existence of your faith. You're missing the whole reason for worship. You're not just supposed to worship on Sunday morning. Or Wednesday night, if you got a midweek service or whenever your midweek service is, you are supposed to worship at home. You are supposed to stay in a continual state of worship and prayer. Listen, I don't care who you're listening to. Dua Lipa is not going to save you. I don't care what, what who your favorite country band is. I don't care. If any, what are you allowing to 
to root in your spirit. If you are not worshiping your creator with songs of adoration, love, affection, and, and glory to God, then you are missing the reason that you were created. We were created to worship, and I love worshiping. And there's been times in my life where, you know, uh, I've been like, man, this is a long worship service. I've led worship. I've been in long worship services, and I've got to refocus my mind because your mind can wonder. Your mind starts thinking about stuff that you got to do, things you haven't done, things that you're, you know, you know, family stuff that you got to do, holidays, birthdays, whatever it is. Your mind will wonder in worship, and you've got to check that thing and bring back your focus and put it back on God. So it's not just a corporate thing. This has got to be something that we do on a regular basis. So if, when you're driving to work, put some worship music, music on. Begin to pray. Begin to intercede for your family. Begin to pray and intercede for what God is having you step into in this season of life. Trust his word. You don't want to live life like a functional atheist. You want to live life like a sold-out believer who understands that everything that God speaks over your life is intentional, that God created you with purpose. He created you with destiny. He created you with a hope. He created you to prosper you. He created you to put you in places that though they may not be comfortable, God is putting you in those places because he knows you have the power to bring change. He knows you have the power to induce heaven and release a mighty work over that space and over that area that he's put you in. So wherever you are, I want to challenge you. Get out of a life that's, that's calling you to be a functional atheist and get out of that lifestyle that, that's causing you to question the works of God, that's causing you to question the morality of heaven and put yourself in a place where God can use you mightily, where you know every word he's spoken over your life is yes and amen. And you carry that mantle and you release what God is wanting to do into this culture and into this generation. This generation is waiting on you to step out in faith and to say, I know who I am. I know who God's called me to be. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk in it. Regardless of what's happening politically, what's, regardless of what's happening culturally, what is it the word that, what's the word that God's given you? You may say, well, pastor, I'm too tired. I'm too tired. Well, you're trying to, you're trying to do all of this on your own. No wonder you're tired. You're trying to deal with all of your enemies and all of this stuff by yourself. No wonder you're tired. I don't have any peace, pastor. You're trying to get perfect peace all by yourself. No wonder you're tired. I didn't even know you could do that because that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says he will, he will keep me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So if I keep my mind on him, he keeps my mind in perfect peace. It's the underutilization of God. And when you underutilize God, you end up living a functional atheistic life as a Christian. Listen, I hope this challenges you. I may connect on this, uh, touch on this on another podcast, because when you start talking about the different roles associated with, with all that God wants to do in your life, you can't do it all on your own. God's got great things for you and I to accomplish. And if we're going to accomplish them, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know why we were, we were created. We've got to know what the word of God says. That's our instruction manual for life. And we've got to trust every word that is spoken to our existence, over us, and for future generations. Listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. God has got great things in store for your life. You are shatterproof. God has placed his angels around you. He's crowned you with glory. He's crowned you with honor. Now it's time for you and I to go make disciples in all the nations. Go change somebody's life. Go change the world with the power of the gospel. And I will see you on the next episode of Shatterproof.